0: Today's reading from the Word of God comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Please follow along in your own Bibles, on the screen behind me, or listen as I read the Scriptures. Once again, that is the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verses 1 through 15. Following the reading, I invite you to respond in worship with the singing of the doxology. At that time, children are invited to join Kids Crew. Here's the word of the Lord. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up to a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The the Jewish Passover festival was near. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves and gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, He said to His disciples, gather the pieces that are left over, let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely, this is the prophet who is to come into this world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, My name is Ethan. I'm one of the pastors here at Anchor Bay Church. Good to see everyone. Uh, I'm really glad and excited to be worshiping with each of you today. Now, before we jump in, let's all take a moment of quiet. Let's quiet our minds and our hearts before the Lord, set aside any distractions that we may have brought in with us today, and invite the Lord to come in and meet us here in this this place. Uh, After a moment of quiet, I'll pray for us. Christ, in your mercy and goodness, meet us here today. Lord, I pray that we will each, all of us, experience You and come to know You more in new and unique ways this morning. We love You, Lord. It's in Your name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Do any of you have any recurring dreams? Not dreams that you have like every night, but maybe a dream or two you have multiple times kind of throughout the year. I've seen a couple of us raise our hands. Uh, I I have a couple of dreams that, that I get, you know, five or six times each probably a year. The first dream is that all of my teeth are falling out. And that, yeah, it's not a fun dream. That's more of a nightmare. Uh, Fun fact, it is the most common dream in the world. So maybe some of you also have that dream. I hope you don't, it's horrible. But the other dream that I have often is that I am performing in a big musical again. See, I did a lot of musical theater and acting all throughout high school and college and after college. Uh, I was in tons of plays and musicals and I loved it. Uh, Once I got to play Lumiere, the candlestick from Beauty and the Beast, yeah, you're going to see some baby Ethan pictures here. Fun fact, I showed this picture to Pastor Gene today, and he looked at me and he said, man, years have not been good to you. I was like, wow, wow thanks, Gene, right? Uh, anyway, yeah, so I was Lumiere once. I got to sing "B.R. Guest. That was a super fun one. I also played Monsieur Tenardier in the musical Les Miserables. Uh, he sings uh, Master of the House. That was a lot of fun. Uh, I was, uh, played a couple of parts in the play Hamlet, uh, but the one I enjoyed the most, I played uh, the evil king slash uh, Hamlet's uncle, King Claudius. Uh, it was kind of fun getting to play a bad guy um, in, a, in a play. You don't want your pastor to be like, it's fun to be a bad guy. No, in the play, it was a lot of fun, but I loved theater, I loved acting, and I miss it all the time, but when I have this dream that I'm about to be in a musical again, The catch is that every time, somehow, I never know that I'm supposed to be performing until it's time to go on stage. Every time I'm in this dream, like I'm backstage, the show starts, everything is great, and then someone's like, all right, here you go, your big scene is coming up. I'm like, what are you talking about? I... I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. And they say, come on. I mean, your scene's up. is ready to go. And no matter what I say in this dream, no one seems to understand the fact that I haven't been in that musical in 15 years. I have no idea what my lines are. I have not prepared. I am uh, I'm about to go out there and bomb. And it's a horrible feeling. And even though I know it's just a silly dream, and every time I wake up and I know I don't actually have to go out and remember all my lines to my big solo from 15 years ago, it's a horrible feeling because it's it's a real feeling, you know, that horrible, sinking feeling of being underprepared for something or feeling really unequipped for something. Maybe it's a, a test you didn't study for or a presentation you maybe should have prepared a little bit more for or project you've been assigned at work that you have no idea how to do, someone's looking to you to do or to say something and you don't know what to do or say, there are a lot of things in our life that can make us feel that horrible sinking feeling of being underprepared for something. And that is certainly true in our Christian life as well. And today we are continuing our sermon series, Signs and Wonders in the Gospel of John. Now, we started this sermon series all the way back in September, last fall, and each week we have been walking through the Gospel of John and studying the life and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And when we first started this series uh, on the Gospel of John, our subtitle was Come and See. And this was because we saw so many times in those first few chapters of John uh, that Jesus kept inviting people not just to listen to Him, but to join Him to follow Him, to come and see what He is all about. And so now as we jump back into this Gospel of John sermon series, our subtitle now is Signs and Wonders. And it's because as we walk through the middle part of John's narrative, uh, John, the disciple who wrote the Gospel of John, shocker, starts highlighting different signs and wonders and miracles that Jesus does uh, all throughout uh, the Gospel, And these signs and wonders are more than just party tricks. They're more than just Jesus showing off how cool He is. These signs and wonders, they pull back the curtain and they show people that Jesus really is the Son of God. He's not just a prophet or a rabbi. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And so today we are continuing the Gospel of John by taking a look at a story that is a pretty well-known sign or miracle in the Bible when Jesus feeds the 5,000 people. Now, if you grew up in the church or if you've been part of the church for a long time, you may have heard millions of sermons or Sunday school lessons or Bible studies about this story, and there's a reason for it. It's because it's awesome. It's incredibly powerful. Every time we go to this story, we can learn something new about it and about God and about God's love for us. So, if you're tempted to check out because you've heard this story before, I invite you to tune back in with open ears uh, to hear what fresh word God might uh, speak to us today. Because I'll be honest, when the pastoral staff team sat down to kind of talk about this passage and to brainstorm the sermon and to study uh, together a little more, we, we realized that there is so much in this passage that we could talk about. I mean, it seems like a pretty straightforward passage, but I mean, there's enough meat on the bone for five sermons or so. I mean, we could unpack the importance of this miracle happening right before the Passover. We could talk about the numbers that show up all in in the story and how they relate to Old Testament narratives. We could talk about food and meals and the theological Uh, importance of meals together in the Bible. We could talk about how the feeding of the 5,000 in John compares to the other accounts in the other gospels of this miracle. We could talk about so much. It's so cool. But that's a lot to pack into one sermon, right? So, buckle up. This will be a two-hour sermon today. Hope you're ready. (laughs) Just kidding. Wow, that would be a nightmare for me. Uh, All right. No, all right, we are going to do our best to unpack the sermon and talk a lot, talk a little bit about all of that. So together, let's dive into the story. Now the passage opens with a very important phrase in the Bible. It says, after this. And whenever you come across that phrase in the Bible, or something like it, you know, after this or sometime after this, or because of this, I would encourage you to pause. And then take a look at what came right before this passage. Because more often than not, that little phrase is an indicator that whatever happened right before this is going to be pretty important for the context of what you're about to read. Right? I mean, picture me getting up here and starting my opening sermon illustration with, you know, good morning, my name is Ethan. Sometime later, I continued walking to the church. (laughs) You'd be like, I feel like I kind of missed something there. Right? And that's true as well when we're reading the Bible. So, before we talk about our passage today, let's pause at, after this and take a quick peek at what happened right before, because it's, John included this for some reason. Why is it important for us to look at the passage before us? What is happening in the passage before us? So, last week, Pastor Bryn talked about the man at the pool, the man that Jesus asked, do you want to be well to? And then that, who Jesus healed at the beginning of chapter 5. But here's the deal. Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath. And that was a big no-no in the eyes of the religious leaders at the time. Uh, People were not allowed to work on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was a holy day, and even healing people or performing miracles was considered work. But Jesus, He kept healing people, and He kept loving people, and He kept teaching people on the Sabbath. And because of this, the religious leaders very seriously started to oppose and persecute Jesus. And Jesus' defense to him healing on the Sabbath, he says, my father is always at work, at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus said, of course I'll heal and teach and love people on the Sabbath. I am the son of God. That's what I do. And it's a big moment where Jesus goes on to call Himself the Son of God for the first time in the Gospel of John. Pharisees are rattled, people are amazed, and it's hard to blame them. Jesus drops a huge theological bomb on these people, and they are all watching Him very closely after this. And it's that theological bomb that He drops right before we get to our passage in chapter 6. So when John says, after this, that's what He's referring to. That's the scene that is bubbling up right as we walk into our passage today. After this, John says, after Jesus called Himself the Son of God, He went to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. And so at this point, lots of people have started following Jesus. John says that a great crowd of people followed Him because they saw the signs that He was performing It was a massive crowd, and later on in verse 10, John says there are about 5,000 men there. And it was a common practice at that time to number crowds only by counting the men in the group, but that doesn't mean that only men were there. So there were 5,000 men, not including also women and children. I mean, there were possibly 10,000 people in this crowd. It was massive, and they were all following Jesus. But there was a problem. This crowd wanted to know who this Jesus guy was. They were following Jesus as he went from town to town. So what were they going to do for food? Turns out they weren't particularly prepared for this. I mean, maybe some of these people were from Galilee and that region they were in, and maybe they can make it home for dinner, but a lot of these people have been following Jesus from Judea and Samaria and these other towns that they had stopped before getting here. How are they going to eat? I mean, either way, Jesus sees that they need to be fed. So he turns to one of his disciples, Philip, and he asks, where should we buy food for these people to eat? He's essentially asking, all right, how are we going to solve this? How are we going to feed these people? And Jesus already has in mind what he's going to do, but he asks Philip anyway. Our passage says to test Philip, and for us reading it in English and in our own modern culture and society, that term for testing can come across as almost negative or harsh, you know, like Jesus is setting a trap for Philip and He's just waiting for him to fail the test. But that's not how that word is used in Greek, you know, which is what the New Testament was originally written in. And it's not necessarily how it was used in that society either. In fact, that word often was used positively by teachers talking to their students or rabbis talking to their disciples. It was a way to invite people to think critically or challenge someone to think creatively, or or to teach someone. And that's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus already knew what he was going to do, but he was inviting Philip and the disciples to think, to learn, and to come and see what he's about to do. How are we gonna feed these people? He's including them in the process. And Philip looks out of the crowd, and he gives a good, honest, very respectable answer. Yeah, it's not gonna happen, my guy. Philip says, look at how many people there are. I mean, it would take more than half a year's salary to buy enough bread just for everyone to have a bite of it, let alone everyone to have a full meal. And then another one of the disciples, Andrew, he speaks up and he says, I mean, I, I guess this boy here has five not very big barley loaves and two also not very big fish, but what good will that do when there are so many people? Philip and Andrew are both basically saying, Jesus, be reasonable. We're not prepared for this. We can't do this. I mean, all we have to offer are five barley loaves and a couple of fish, and that's not enough. We are not prepared to do this thing that you're asking us to do. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever looked at the Christian life, looked at what God is inviting you to, and felt like you are not prepared for it, that you can't do it? Because friends, if I'm honest with myself, the people in the Bible that I most relate to, they're not the big heroes that we talk about all the time. They are the Phillips and the Andrews because we in the church we talk so often about following Jesus uh, choose to follow Jesus put everything aside that keeps us away from Jesus read your bible and learn to Jesus and learn about Jesus know Jesus love like Jesus forgive like Jesus be like Jesus but do you ever feel like how because when i look at the new life that Jesus invites me into sometimes i don't feel like i can how am I supposed to live like that? How am I supposed to give up my addiction? How am I supposed to turn the other cheek to forgive someone who's hurt me? How am I supposed to live with joy and peace and patience when there's so much fighting and pain and oppression in the world? How am I supposed to fight world hunger or advocate for people facing homelessness? I'm not trained for any of that. I mean, I see this person or that person, and they seem just like the perfect Christian. They're always so hospitable, so joyful. They post about their daily devotional on Instagram every day. How am I supposed to be like them? How am I supposed to do all of that, be all of that? Do you ever feel underprepared or under-equipped to say yes to what Jesus is inviting you to? Do you ever feel like Philip and Andrew asking God, how am I supposed to do that? Like you're backstage and someone's trying to usher you on stage, but you don't know any of your lines. I mean, come on, has God seen me? I can't do that. All I've got are these five loaves of bread and a couple of fish, and I cannot do what you're asking. I imagine that's how Philip and Andrew felt when Jesus said, Feed these people. How are we going to do it? But that's not where the story ends. And praise God, that's not where the story ends for us either. Jesus goes on and he tells the disciples to have everyone sit down in the grass there, all 10,000 or so of them. There is plenty of space for everyone. Jesus takes those five barley loaves, he gives thanks and he blesses them, and then he starts distributing them among the people. And he does the same with the fish. Giving some to everyone, not just a bite each, but as much as they want. Eat until you're full. And somehow, it doesn't run out. And only after everyone has had enough to eat does Jesus say to His disciples, go and gather all the leftovers. Leftovers? I mean, Jesus, there shouldn't have been enough leftovers if just like we ate it, just us 12 disciples. But somehow, as they go out and collect leftovers, the disciples walk around and collect 12 baskets full of leftover barley loaves, and the crowd cheers, and Jesus wins again, right? Now, you might have noticed that this passage has specified a few times that these aren't just loaves of some random bread. They've specifically mentioned that they are barley loaves. And I don't think it's just because John was a big foodie and wanted to talk about his favorite kind of bread that he learned to bake during the COVID pandemic, because everyone learned how to bake bread, I guess, except for me. So why is it specified that it's barley loaves? Well, if we look back at the beginning of this passage, there was a short detail which is pretty easy to miss. Now, the passage started with this. You know, after this, Jesus crossed to the other shore. Uh, there were tons of people that followed Him, and He and His disciples went up on the mountain. And then, there's a short passage, or a short little verse, that says, the Jewish Paso- Passover festival was near. And there's a reason that John starts the story with this detail. The Passover festival was and is a huge deal to the Jewish community. The Passover festival was a yearly celebration and remembrance of when God led Moses and the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and into the promised land over a thousand years before that. And that Passover festival always ended with a feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And this feast was a reminder every year that even after God led the Israelites out of Egypt, God didn't stop there. But God continued to provide for them by giving them bread to eat in the desert. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was a time to remember that God is the ultimate provider and sustainer. It's a time to celebrate honor and worship God for being a God who keeps promises, who never abandons us, who will do whatever it takes to rescue God's people, who continues to provide even while we are being led by God. And so every year, the Jewish people celebrate this tremendous event where God uh, sent them bread to sustain them in the desert, to continue providing for them with this festival, making and eating unleavened bread for a week. And what kind of bread did the Israelites use for this festival where they remembered that God himself sent bread to sustain them? What kind of bread did they use to remember that God provided for them? Barley loaves. Passover and the festival of unleavened bread always took place right around when the barley was ripe for harvesting. So every year, the Israelites would make and eat barley loaves to remember God's power and provision as a symbol of the time when God miraculously made bread appear from heaven to provide and sustain them. So when this story happens, the Jewish men and women that are following Jesus at this time would have likely been preparing for and anticipating the upcoming Passover festival and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They would have likely been getting ready to harvest barley to remember how God miraculously fed the Israelites, and right after Jesus says that He is the Son of God in chapter 5, equating Himself to God, what does Jesus do? He miraculously feeds thousands of people with a few barley loaves. He performs a miracle just like God's miraculous provision of bread in the desert over a thousand years before. Just like the miracle that everyone is preparing to celebrate at the Passover festival, Jesus does it again. And see, what Jesus is inviting Philip and Andrew to see and to learn, what Jesus is inviting everyone in this story to see and to learn, what He's inviting us to see and to learn is that Jesus is much more than just a miracle worker or a prophet or a magician. Jesus is showing us that He is God. Jesus is showing them that He meant it when He called Himself the Son of God in chapter 5, putting His money where His mouth is. Jesus is showing that just as God provided for the Israelites in the desert as they fled Egypt, so too does Jesus provide food, and, and He provides it freely. But He provides more than just barley loaves. See, the crowd is amazed at what He's done And a few verses later, a little lower in John, they cross back to the other side of the shore and Jesus tells them, it wasn't Moses that gave you bread in the desert. It wasn't Moses that gave you bread now. It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they are amazed. That sounds incredible. Sir, they say, always give us this bread. And Jesus says... I am the bread of life. I am that bread from heaven. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus provides himself, the bread of life, given freely and abundantly, just like he gave bread to thousands of people in the crowd and had more to spare When Jesus asked Philip, how will we feed these people? Come on, I've called you to follow me. I've called you to come and see, to learn from me, to love and serve like I do. So let's do it. How will we do it? Philip doesn't know. And Andrew doesn't know. They say, we can't, Jesus. All we have to offer is, is this, just a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish. And how does Jesus answer? That's fine. Whatever you have is enough. <laughs> is this like the Oscars where they're trying to like, <laughs> come on, right? That's fine. Hopefully you can still see me. When, when Philip and Andrew say they can't do it, Jesus says that's okay. What you have is more than enough because I am more than enough. Jesus says, just like my father sent bread from heaven to the Israelites a thousand years ago, my father has now sent another bread, the bread of life. The father has sent me. And when you come to me, you will have more than enough. When Jesus invited Philip and Andrew to follow him, to love like him, to serve like him, they said, I don't know if we can, we're not prepared for this. And Jesus says, I have called you to this. So, of course you can do it because I will never abandon you. Just like my father didn't bring Moses and the Israelites out of Egypt and then just say, okay, figure it out from here, I also won't ever abandon you when I call you. Just as my father led the Israelites through the desert the whole way, providing for them and sustaining them, I will lead you where I have called you. I will provide for you and I will sustain you. I will give you bread. I'll give you myself. And friends, Jesus does the same with us because just as God provided food for the Israelites in the desert, just as Jesus provided food for the crowd, Jesus offers us himself the bread of life every day. And we can rejoice in the truth. Jesus never abandons us or leaves us to figure it out ourselves when he calls us to new life. Instead, Jesus offers himself the bread of life so that we may never go hungry again. Jesus enables and equips us to follow Him, always providing Himself. And that isn't to say that when we follow Jesus, we choose to follow Jesus, everything will just magically change and be easy and better, right? It doesn't mean that suddenly we can just give up our addiction like that. It doesn't mean that suddenly we're always patient and joyful and kind and we're never upset or sad or angry. It doesn't mean that it's easy to forgive someone suddenly or that we'll know exactly how to fight world hunger or to serve people facing homelessness, God doesn't promise us, God doesn't promise us, God doesn't promise us quick fixes. God promises us himself. When we're like Philip and Andrew, not sure that we can live into the new life that God has invited us into, when we don't feel prepared to live in love like Jesus, we can rejoice in the fact that Jesus doesn't expect us to do that alone. Jesus didn't expect Philip or Andrew to, like, figure out some financial way to pay for everyone's meal. Jesus invited them to think and to watch and to join Him as He did that. And that's what Jesus is inviting us to do every day. However underprepared or under-equipped we may feel when we say yes to Jesus' invitation to new life, we can say yes every day knowing that God is the one who sustains us knowing that when we knock at the door, God will answer, always, that God is the one to empower us to step into this new life that we're called to come and follow Him in. When we try to give up our addictions, when we try to forgive those who have hurt us when it feels impossible, when we try to live with joy and kindness and gentleness in the midst of a heavy, heartbreaking world, when we try to take those first steps to help end food insecurity or homelessness, when we're trying to spend time in God's Word or prayer, but we feel burnt out or busy, we can do so confident that Jesus meets us in those spaces, extending Himself, the bread of life, knowing that it is His power at work within us as we live into the life that God has called us to live. Praise God that we don't have to do that alone. Praise God that we don't have to have everything figured out when we come to Jesus, that we don't have to be perfect and polished and self-sufficient. Praise God that we can come to Jesus just as we are, knowing that He will faithfully, enthusiastically, and lovingly lead us as we follow Him into a transformed life. And friends, I've seen this happen in our church. I mean, on like a big grand scale. I was talking with Pastor Bryn yesterday about, yesterday about how we've seen Jesus sustain in our, and empower our church on like the most foundational level ever. How a decade ago, a group of 11 people met together in someone's living room and called themselves High Rock North Shore. And they trusted that even though there were just 11 of them, that they felt called to love and serve God and our neighbors on the North Shore. And they were ready to see where God would lead them in that. And now, a decade later, here we are. <laughs> Look at us. We're in a building in the middle of Beverly with hundreds of people living out the faith together. God has provided us space and finances, but more importantly, God has provided us with people and community and friendships and personal spiritual growth, and spiritual formation, and discipleship, and ideas, and passions that have actually made a difference doing kingdom work on the North Shore. Without God leading and providing for us, we very well may still be 11 people in a living room all meeting together, but here we are, relying on God as we try and grow into the church that He wants us to be. And I've seen Jesus transform and sustain people individually in this church as well. I mean, I was chatting with one of the social workers at the Salem DCF office the other day, DCF being the the Department of Child and Family Services. And she was so excited about our church because over the past year, we've had two households in our church go through the training to become foster homes. And over the past year, we have cleaned and organized and delivered literally thousands of articles of clothing donated to foster families and brought that back to DCF offices so they could distribute it. And we're currently working on creating deeper, more meaningful support groups for foster families in our church and in the North Shore in general. And all of that is just because people in our church felt compelled by God to try and serve people in the foster care system, even though we had no idea how to do it but God has faithfully guided us and supported us and led us over these past years. And I've also personally talked with so many of you about hurts and pains and broken relationships in your lives, things you don't feel like you could ever heal from or grow from or move on from. And I've heard you talk about healing and joy and transformed hearts all because of the transformative work of the Holy Spirit in your life. And friends, to be honest and vulnerable, the fact that I'm standing up here right now is evidence that when we feel underprepared and under-equipped, Jesus is there to sustain us, to provide for us, and to lead us. Uh, I was a PE major in college. I didn't study theology or pastoral care. I studied dodgeball and how to twirl your whistle around your finger a lot, you know? Things PE teachers do. But when I felt the Lord calling me towards vocational ministry, I felt so underprepared. And all throughout seminary, I struggled with imposter syndrome so bad. I mean, I was just Ethan, ex-theater kid turned PE teacher, right? Not some impressive theologian. I'm not as smart as that guy or as wise as her or, or as good at pastoral care as they are. And to be honest, I still feel that way sometimes. I still wake up sometimes and think who am I to be a minister of God? I'm a pastor? <laughs> Jesus, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I'll I'll give you what I've got, but it's not much. And yet every day Jesus says to me that's fine. What you have is more than enough because I am more than enough. And every day I see the faithfulness of the Lord as God helps me grow and serve, and minister, and come to know Him more. So, friends, as we leave here today, how is God inviting you into new life in ways that you may feel underprepared for? In what ways are you saying, I don't know, God. I don't know how I could do that. All I've got is this. All I've got is a couple of loaves, or, you know, bread, and fish, and In what ways can you trust that Jesus, even as you feel underprepared, that Jesus, the the bread of life, will meet you in those spaces? This week, I encourage you to prayerfully ask God, where are you leading me, God? Knowing that whatever God might be leading you towards, you will never be abandoned to figure it out on your own. Let's pray. Christ, thank you for your goodness and mercy and love. I am overwhelmed by your sacrificial love for us and how no matter what, when we feel called by you, you will not abandon us to do it alone. You didn't lead the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and just say, okay, figure it out. You didn't invite disciples to follow you as you walked on earth and just never teach them, never walk with them in their, in their struggles, to never teach them when they say I don't know if I can do this, but you walked with them every day Lord, thank you that even now as we say I don't know about that God, we can be confident that you will lead us and love us for eternity Lord, reveal to us this week areas you may be asking us to follow you into new life. Lord, give us courage to step into that faithfully knowing that you will sustain us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.